Welcome to James Explores the New Mutants, the podcast that, well, explores, examines, and explains Marvel's comic book series, The New Mutants, its rebranding, relaunches, and spinoffs. In an attempt to share my love for this series, its characters, writers, and artists, in this episode, we'll be exploring New Mutants number one. Please stay tuned. Welcome back. So before we dive into issue number one, I'd like to make a couple quick notes for you, the listener. The first being about the, the podcast's format. So what you can expect moving forward is each podcast will focus on a single issue of the New Mutants. So the second podcast will be issue number one. The third podcast will be issue number two, so forth and so on. Now, down the road, if it becomes easier and more clear to explain story arcs, I may make that adjustment. But for now, we're going to try to do it issue by issue. Also, I want to try to keep the podcast under an hour. The last one went a little long, but I would like to keep it under an hour if possible. Um, Another reason to do a single issue. The next note is about really reading order. So if you were to read issue one of New Mutants through 100, there might be points in the story that you felt you missed something. And that's probably because Uncanny X-Men and New Mutants, especially early on, shared plot elements. And that's largely due to the fact that Chris Claremont was writing The New Mutants and Uncanny X-Men at the same time. And so, for example... Issues 1 and 2 and the Marvel graphic novel all tie into what is happening in Uncanny X-Men at that time, which was the Brood Saga, specifically 165 through 167. So going forward, I will do my best to point out when these issues, when these plot elements are shared between books. And I'll point you to the book's that, that it occurs in Uncanny X-Men, the, 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 num- the issue numbers. Uh, the next note is kind of about if you're deciding, like if you decide that you want to you wanna read The New Mutants because you've never read it, or if you ha- have read it and maybe you want to go back to it and you don't have the issues on hand, um, it can be kind of hard to find. Uh, your local comic book store probably will have it. Uh, Last I knew, it wasn't in high demand. Uh, When I collected this, this is the first series I completed as a comic book collector. So when I picked it up, most of the issues were a buck. A lot of them, not not very many, over five. Uh, The few that are high price are obviously 98 because it's the first appearance of Deadpool. Um, That just keeps going up in price. Um, And Cable's first appearance... 87, and there are a few annuals that that uh, are pricey as well. But other than that, it's pretty affordable, or it was when I picked it up. Um, if you if you can't find it through your local comic book store, you know online, if you want the series, if you want to collect each of the issues, you know eBay or any other comic book seller online would be a good good uh, possibility. Um, as far as other than that, last I knew. Uh, sites like Marvel Now don't really have it online. So last I knew, I don't even think Marvel Now has any of the orig- the first series uh, collected on their online uh, site. Um, and then uh, for Bound material, um, Chris Claremont had been collected. His run on it had been collected into hardbound uh, trade paperbacks or not trade paperbacks, but hardbound collections. Um, But those are out of print, and it's only Chris Claremont's run. So it's not the entire series. So it can be a little hard to track down, but last I knew it was pretty readily available at most comic book stores, and it shouldn't be too hard to find online if you want want the issues, each single issue. Um, but yeah, those are the notes. Those are really the things I wanted to touch on before we got into the comic, the first, this first issue. So let's just dive right in. 
Like I said, Chris Claremont's doing the writing on the book still. And Bob McLeod has come back. He is the co-creator and artist of this issue. And Louise Jones is the editor. She edits both Uncanny X-Men and The New Mutants at this time. And she's going to get married here down the road and become, her name, her name will change to Louise Simonson. Uh, her and her husband will do work on, I believe, X-Factor. I know Louise Simonson does, and I think her husband does the art for a while. Her, her husband's well-known for his run on Thor, but he's, he's great. But coming back to what we're talking about, this first issue, uh, it is titled Initiation, and it has an exclamation point. And I point that out to you, the listener, because Chris Claremont wouldn't have put it there if it wasn't important. So it's important. But all joking aside, let's, let's get into this. On the first page, we see all of the new mutants, four of them. Samuel Guthrie, Roberto da Costa, Daniel Moonstar, and Rain Sinclair watch as their fellow classmate, Shan Coy Man, is having her hair washed by a woman that we haven't seen in New Mutants yet. Uh, and that is some uh, Stevie Hunter. Now, for those of you familiar with Uncanny X-Men, uh, especially Claremont's early run, you will recognize her uh, from issue 139. She was introduced in that issue and became uh, the dance instructor and physical therapist for Kitty Pride, right? And the reason she's at the Institute right now is because she's been hired to be the physical education instructor for the New Mutants, right? This... The Xavier Institute is once again a school. It's functioning that way, and Xavier needs uh, instructors, and so that's why Stevie's here. Um, now, why is she washing Rain's hair? Well, our Shane's uh, hair. Well, that's simple because uh, she she it, she thinks it needs to be updated. Right, her hair was pretty. Um, it wasn't anything special. And she tells Shane, like, you're a really attractive young lady, and you really need to update your hairstyle, and that's why we're doing this. Um, Shane's not excited that her fellow classmates are uh, uh, watching as this is going on. Um, and and Stevie tells her, hey, you know, I even if I wanted them to keep them out, I, I couldn't. You know that. And... Uh, uh, they're all just kind of sitting around watching and, and talking. And, um, you know, Rain's sitting there, and, and she touches the top of her head, and she says, you know, I wish I looked that pretty, um, but my hair just never seems to grow. And these here's a really great moment. We, what we're seeing is some vulnerability and insecurity from Rain, which is fairly common for her character, right? Um, she doesn't know her place in the world. She's struggling with her mutant abilities, whether that's a gift or a sin. She's been told since, you know, she was almost killed by the man that raised her from chi- as a child, right? This man, Reverend Craig, raised her in an orphanage, and when she transformed for the first time as into a wolf form he was chasing her with a mob calling her a devil and they were trying to kill her right so on top of that she's very religious she's a fundamentalist scott and you know like she's just vulnerable and really innocent um and and very uh unsure and uncertain of herself and lacking a lot of self-confidence um, and at this point, you know, after she's made this comment about her hair not growing and just not thinking she's very attractive, Roberto steps over to her, takes her hand, kisses it, uh, and he says, Don't be sad, Rain. It suits you perfectly. Its color is as fiery as your, fiery as your spirit. And he, he claims that, you know, in his native Brazil... You know, you're supposed to admire things of beauty. And that's what he's doing, right? That's his his defense. And, you know, here we're seeing Roberto kind of carry over from that. You know, both characters 
really have carried over from that graphic novel. And Roberto, you know, he was dramatic and and very much charming and uh, egocentric and confident and suave in that. And we're seeing that still carry forward here, you know. And and it's important, I think, to remember that all of these students are starting from different points, right? Roberto da Costa's wealthy. He's used to being the center of attention, popular and successful and good at everything, right? And being having women attracted to him. Uh, Rain Sinclair, we've talked about pretty extensive, extensively already, right? From Scotland, religious, very innocent and uh, uncertain of herself and not sure if she's a demon or not. And then we've got Shan Coyman, who's you know, traumatic childhood up until, you know, her her late teens. She's been fighting for herself and her two younger siblings just to stay alive, right? And now she's finally made it into a place where she's safe and secure, and that's new for her. We've got Samuel Guthrie, who's coming from, you know, really just a spot of, like, trying to achieve something more than his parents and very much centered in responsibility and kindness right in protecting his family right uh he was supposed to go to college but his father died and then he had to take on the mantle of the man of the house and 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 making money so that his family could eat and his kids his siblings could go to college like in in hopefully in, in fulfill his father's dream in that way you know, so that's where Sam's coming from. And then we've got Daniel Moonstar, who, because of her powers, when they manifested, it drove everyone away, right? She very much became isolated and was alone in nature and only communing with animals because she shared a psychic rapport with them, right? So they're all coming from very different places, and they're all looking for the same things, right? Like, how do you navigate these abilities and... and achieve your dreams and move forward and grow and change and adapt and become adults and that's what you know i think is so wonderful about this book even as an adult you can look at these characters and i think find things that that speak to for sure i can i look at this and i see characters in here and and things that they're going through as an adult still today that i can relate to and certainly when i was younger you know uh, and I really enjoy that about this book. Now, uh, you know, going forward and you know, returning to the story, uh, you know, Stevie is concerned with how much of a charmer uh, Roberto is, you know, because he's he's charming and he knows that, right? He's very aware of his uh, his uh, suaveness, if you will, and he plays to that quite often. We see that very consistently moving forward. Um, and her concern is really that he, she just hopes that he's careful because because Rain is so naive and innocent, right? Like, she might get fall for him, start to have feelings, and he may not even be intending for that, right? He may not be interested. Uh, so, you know, she's still working on Shane's hair, drying it, and then she's starting to style it, and uh, Danny's dancing around, making light of it, right? She's like, oh, Roberto, if only you would look at me so. My heart, she goes pitter-patter. I faint, I swoon. Stevie, Stevie, please perform your wizardry on me. I, too, am an ugly duckling yearning to be a swan. And everybody's laughing. It's just everybody's really getting a kick out of this. They're all just joking. And, you know, uh, she Shane's embarrassed. She's hiding her face. And Stevie's just, like, trying to get this done and trying to keep things in order. And, like, in this sheer moment of joy, right, like, and laughter and acceptance and and being amongst other people and not being alone, the worst thing that could happen for for Danny happens. She her her powers manifest 
unintended. And she pulls from Shane, from Shane's subconscious images of her past. In the first panel, we see Shane with her family, right? It's Shane, her brother Tran, her two younger siblings, her mother and her father, and her father's wearing his military uniform. In the next panel, the very next panel, we see her father being killed and falling, and Shane witnessing this, and her mother seeing this, right? Like, so her family's being ripped apart, right? A very traumatic event. The very next panel... We see more of her past. In this image, we see Barbary pirates attacking her mother. They have her mother, and they're pulling her away from Shane. Right? And uh, her mother suffers. Her mother's raped at this point by these pirates. And the next panel, we see Shane cowering on the ground in front of her two younger siblings and a Barbary pirate standing above her. And and Claremont's very clear to say, you know, that Shane suffered the same fate as her mother. So we know that Shane's been raped by these pirates. This is a horrible event in her life. I mean, just one after the other, after the other, after the other, right? And obviously Shane is upset, I mean, how? I mean, I don't even know that that is a fair way to say this. Shane is enraged at Danny, and Danny's stunned and stupefied, right? And I want to take some time to to explore this moment because we have seen in so many origin stories with mutants, right, with their abilities, in moments of heightened emotions, right, typically fear, anger. We see powers manifesting in childhood as at the puberty, right? And and the one I automatically come to, probably because of the the movie, but it, I think it's fairly close to the comic, is Rogue's manifestation. I think she was kissing a boy in the comic as well as in the movie. That's how her powers manifested, right? Like, and she she hurts this guy, but but or this young boy that she's interested in. But I, I think about when I have had. When I'm the first kisses with girls, right, that I've had, it's like there's that moment of fear, right? There's excitement, there's fear, there's joy, there's all of these emotions, and they're all going on at the same time. And then once I kiss the girl, then then that fear goes away and it becomes normal. But but that first kiss, typically, there's some anxiety or some fear there. And so, like, I get that there's fear in that moment for Rogue. Now, Danny, she's in this moment of pure joy. And, and for me, this is like really the first time that I've examined it this closely where I'm like, oh, she's not mad. She's not angry. She's not scared. She's not ang- She might be a little anxious, but she's, you know, joking around. So likelihood the anxiety is there unless that's how she I, hides her anxiety. I, I Maybe I'm delving too deep into this, but I, I find it very interesting that in this pure moment of pure joy, her powers manifest. So I, I'm going to stretch it and say that mutant powers, uh, amongst someone who is untrained and unfamiliar with their use, whether it's the first time they manifest, or, you know, maybe, you know, in their u- young younger years, before they've learned how to really control them, those powers, those abilities manifest during moments of heightened emotion, right? So that could be joy, fear, sorrow, pain, suffering, fear. Uh, Any of those moments could cause a mutant's abilities to manifest uncontrolled, right? And that's what happened here with Danny. And and Shane, who'd been sitting in the chair allowing... uh, Stevie to start to style her hair launches herself from the chair and she wraps her hands around Danny's throat and they fall to the floor and you know Danny's pleading her innocence that she didn't mean to do this this was an accident she didn't she's she's horribly horrified by this and, and terrified and 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 Shane just does not believe her she's calling her a liar 
and, and Stevie reacts as quickly as she can and she's got both her hands on Shane's shoulders and she's trying to pull the two girls away, trying to pull Shane off the top of Danny and, and Shane lashes out at Stevie now and she possesses her, right? She possesses Stevie uh, uh, and says, get away from, you know, just, I mean, the lettering here, it's just bold and dark and the, even the speech bubble is like thick black outline. And I mean, her facial expressions, there's tears pouring down her eyes, but there's rage in the face. She says, get away from me, right? Like she is mortified because that's just like ripping out her deepest, darkest, most horrid secrets that she's kept. And I mean, things are out of hand and Roberto steps in and he slaps. The only thing that breaks things up finally is he slaps Shane across the face and that that strike, that striking Shane across the face breaks her hold on Stevie and Stevie's back, right, in the moment and Danny is beginning to back away on the ground away from Shane and Shane is just pouring tears and she just can't even you know, in this moment and she's telling Danny that, you know she just wants to possess her and have her jump off, you know, just kill her she says, if I could possess you, I'd have you rip the living heart from your own breast. I would make you suffer, but I can't let myself. I can't. Right? Like she just wants, she's just so enraged. And she just kind of becomes this whimpering mess. And Stevie, who's finally regained composure, she tells Danny, Please, you know, leave. You should go for a walk. Just get some space. You know, we'll we'll talk about this later. Um, and she tells other students, you know, you all need to go. I'm going to stay here with Shane. And Shane, you know, rests her head on Stevie's breast and, and Stevie and chest. And, and Stevie just holds her. And she's crying, right? Just crying. And Danny does. She goes, right? And, uh... She, she just goes for a walk as she was told to and Roberto goes to follow Danny and Sam stops him he's like hey I know what you want to do you want to follow her and try to make this right but I'm telling you I've got a whole lot of sisters at home and when this happens with them the last thing they want me to do is follow them I've tried it and it just makes things worse just let it be give them space and Roberto turns to him and he says, But it's not Danny alone I am worried about. Shane has not jo- was not joking when she made her threats, and her powers give her the ability to make them real. And, like, he's just really wanting to go, and, and you know, he's concerned because those threats are not to be taken lightly. Uh... Now, Danny, she's walking through the mansion, right? Like, she's really, like, I think this is an appropriate time to revisit, right? We've already talked about where Danny was when she first uh, joins this team, right? Like, and, you know, kind of where her character's starting at. She is a loner, and she has experienced this before, right? She has driven everyone that she cared about away from her, except for her grandfather, right? Her parents, they're dead, right? And her grandfather's the only one that was there, and he's now dead. And so no one's there for her. She'd driven all her friends away because of this, this mutant ability of hers, right? She's done this before, and this is just destined to keep happening. And if she... She's not going to have friends because they won't trust her because of what she did with Shane. And certainly, I mean, even worse than that, because how could they want a monster like her here? Like, that's what she's starting to think. Like, they're going to ask me to leave. I'll be lucky even if I stay. I might as well leave. And so she's exploring this, the mansion, as she's thinking, right? And, and just kind of, like, spiraling downwards into this darker place where she believes, like, she doesn't belong here anymore and that she's going to be asked to leave. 
Uh, and she's exploring this wing that she's never been in, right? Nobody's ever told her about this wing. Nobody's ever showed her this wing. And she opens one door, and, and she begins looking at a pegboard, and she finds a picture of Kitty Pride being lifted out of the water, in, at, like the pond, or at a lake, or at the beach, by uh, Peter Rasputin. And she doesn't know any of these people. She doesn't know who any of these people are in this picture. She does know who Liliana is. Liliana Rasputin's uh, in the picture as well. So I'm guessing that's probably Kitty Pride's room. It might be Liliana's, but I'm guessing it's Kitty Pride's room. And uh, then she's exploring further and she sees an attic. So she pulls the ladder down and she goes up into the attic. And there's plants everywhere. Plants that run the lengths of the mansion, right? So it's tons and tons of plants. And most of you probably can guess this is Storm's room. This is Aurora's room. And uh, the plants, the thing about the plants is they haven't they haven't been watered, right? They're starting to, like, droop, really saggy. And Danny decides somebody needs to water these plants. And uh, she does that. So she spends quite a bit of time. Um, she doesn't even know how long, but she waters every one of the plants. And I get some, a drink, you know, waters all these plants. And uh, when she's done, she realizes, man, I'm hungry. And she figures she probably missed uh, lunch. Um, and just about this moment, as she's finished watering and she's thinking about going to get something to eat and checking on everything, Xavier's. Uh, mentally calls all the students to the danger room. It's time for them to start their first training session. We jump to London, where Moira McTaggart has been summoned uh, to speak with the Israeli ambassador. And the Israeli ambassador is Gabriel Huller. We were first introduced to her in Uncanny X-Men 161. Uh, Charles Xavier helped her as a, a therapist, right? And uh, now she, here she is um, in present day. This is her first appearance uh, in, in the modern, her first modern appearance that isn't taking place in a flashback. 161 is uh, a flashback. Um, and she she invites uh Moira who has been accompanied to to meet with this ambassador by Ileana Rasputin. And they sit down and they eat dinner and after dinner uh uh she explains why she has summoned Moira. She tells her that her her son's autistic and is in need of help. Uh, Moira's like, Well, I'm not a psychiatrist, that's out of my league. Well, she says, well, he's, he's actually a mutant, and that's, that's the main concern. Uh, and she tells her, I believe, that she believed, uh, Gabriel Huller tells uh, Moira that she believes her son is telepathic and possibly telekinetic. Um, Moira's like, well, uh, you actually should be talking to Charles Xavier, my, my associate. He's, you know, this is his specialty. And she says, well, I want Charles kept out of it. Uh, Ambassador Huller doesn't want Charles Xavier involved. Moira's like, well, why? Why wouldn't you want him involved? He's he's the man for the job. She says, well, I have my reasons. And Moira's like, well, if you want me to help, you know, you're gonna have to tell me why. She forces the point, and finally, uh, Gabriel Huller explains. Charles Xavier is the boy's father. Bum bum bum. On the next page, we see Xavier sitting on a control panel, and he is welcoming his students to the danger room, right? All X-Men have trained in the danger room. Uh, And we see behind him his students, the five students, milling around, talking, and Stevie Hunter's with them. Uh, Roberto asks, are we to become the new X-Men? And Xavier sternly says, No! Your pardon, Roberto. I did not mean to snap. There will be a school for gifted youngsters. 
whose students are mutants. But never again will there be the X-Men, a team of mutant superheroes. That chapter of my life is ended forever. And, you know, you get the sense that that kind of really upsets Roberto. Like, he's very much, like, enjoying this idea of being a superhero, right? Of being the hero. Very much plays to who he is. And we'll see further on as the comic continues. He has this obsession or joy for Magnum P.I. Like, he really likes the idea of being this, this heroic male figure. Uh, and, and that would have been something that, you know, a superhero team would have fulfilled great for him. Um, another aside, you know, I really, this is my Xavier, right? Like, this is my Professor X. You know, I see him as this tutor or guide, this teacher of of mutants, right? Like, helping them to achieve their potential. And, and you really see that Xavier in the New Mutants, um, he's not constantly running around trying to, you know, uh, fake his own death or like manipulate events or manipulate people through his abilities, right? And and he's not doing that in these issues. And he's very much aware of like he's not trying to groom these students to become superheroes. He's trying to prevent that. He's trying to help them and keep them safe. Uh, that being said, uh, he explains to them that the danger room is a training facility, right? And he he's, has it set up as a gym right now, right? There's gym, gym, gym equipment on the floor, and the students are like, eh, that's not that impressive. But he explains to them, like, to really master your abilities, to to really hone and master and control your mutant abilities, your bodies need to be in peak physical condition, right? It's very important. But they're not impressed, and that's not something that really excites them. And he he decides, well, okay, I'll show you what the X-Men had been doing before they disappeared, the last program they'd worked in. And he punches in some stuff on the controls, and the room, from they they're, as they watch from the, from the control booth, the danger room transforms into a prehistoric jungle or forest, and there's this giant monster on the ground, and he has, uh, he's huge, and they're just shocked and and surprised and uh, in awe of this, and all of a sudden, this monster leaps up at the control booth, and they scur- it, it you know, g- roars at them, and they jump back, the students jump back, and we see Roberto and Rain, they, they transform, right? They both have powers that change their appearance, and in a blink of an eye, in an instant, it's gone, and, and they're just shocked. Rain comments, it's magic, and, and, and Xavier explains, it's not, you know, this is, uh, you know, some of that's real down there, some of it's holographic images, uh, and it, it can be deadly. Like, this, this is an extremely difficult program, and it's nothing that you'll be looking at anytime soon. But he does explain to them that he's going to do, uh, he's going to have them go through their first danger room session just to kind of test them and see where they're at with their abilities and what they're capable of doing. And it's a simple test. You simply just have to get from one end of the danger room to the other and exit. Uh, Cannon, and he asks for a volunteer, who's, who's going to go first? And Cannonball, uh, Sam Guthrie's the first. He goes down. He, he's going to do it, and he decides he's just going to fly across, right? He, he, his legs ignite, and he is rocketing across the room in his cannonball form, and all of a sudden there's this big wall, this metal wall that shoots up in front of him, and he smashes into it and falls to the, f- f- falls to the ground. Thank goodness he is nigh invulnerable while blasting, because uh, he would have probably crushed his skull had he not been. Uh, he decides he's going to continue, and he just changes his, uh, since he was stopped, he's able to change his trajectory, and he launches himself over the wall, and as he's in flight, he is sucked up into this tube that then spits him out onto the ground at the beginning, and he has failed. Sam's problem is he still has not figured out how to turn 
he can only go straight uh and he is you know struggling to control that ability um the next is Wolfbane Rain Sinclair, and she goes in her wolf's form uh, so that she gets her, pers- her you know, heightened hearing scent, right, and she goes slowly as she begins to cross the floor. All of a sudden, a trap door opens below her, and she begins to fall. She changes to the lupine human wolf hybrid, you know, half-wolf, half-human form, where she is able to use her agility and strength to then pull herself out of this trap. But uh, for whatever reason, she is then, as she jumps out, she ends up on a ramp that she slides down to another pit, and, and she fails. She is not able to cross the room. Sunspot, Roberto da Costa goes next, and he is confidently walking across the room, and, her, and and he is not concerned at all. He's very confident in his abilities, very confident in his strength, and all of a sudden he is grabbed by this robot out of nowhere, and he is disappointed. He was hoping for a, a, more of a challenge. And he turns to his sunspot form, and he punches this robot right in the chest. And all of a sudden, his arm gets stuck. He can't pull his arm back. And the more he struggles, the more stuck he becomes. And he fights and struggles and strains, but to no avail avail at all. And he eventually burns himself out, and he returns to his human form. And up in the control booth, his friends cannonball and especially rain they both have completed their training mission are laughing they just find this hilarious danny you can see on her face and in her thoughts that she is worried she she doesn't understand how her friends can be laughing at this she's terrified um karma's next and when she goes down to the floor it has holographically changed what she sees is it looks like uh the inner city of new york and she makes her way across the, the training room floor. Uh, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Cannonball's rocketing at her and his, uh, towards her. And she she's able to quickly take control of him uh, using her pos- ability to possess others. And she turns him and fl- has him fly into Roberto, who is also approaching her. Uh, and takes them both out of the fight. But while she's occupied with the two of them, uh, Wolfsbane, in her wolf's form, leaps up at her out of from the side and knocks her to the ground and begins licking her face. She, too, has failed. Uh, and you, you guessed it, the next to go is, is Danny. And uh, she, she is really struggling at this point. She's telling herself, I can't. If I enter the danger room, I'll die. You know, and she she's just fixated on her inability to do this, that she's gonna die, and that if she if if she enters the danger room and she has to go up against uh, her teammates, karma is gonna kill her. Like she is terrified. She is absolutely has no faith that she can handle this. And she tries. She really tries to overcome her fears. She begins to make her way down the stairs. She just is stuck in her head, continually fixated on this idea that she's either going to die, fail, or be killed by her teammate. Right? And she goes down the stairs. She reaches the door. Her hand begins to push the lever to open the door to enter the room. And she's continue just fixated on this and she all of a sudden screams no and she runs and runs and runs and runs we next see Danny sitting on a hillside overlooking a pristine lake and for those of you that aren't familiar with the Xavier Institute it is situated on a three mile estate and that is made up of you know open grassland and wooded areas it's it's just a sprawling park, and Danny's out in the in nature, kind of returning to this old habit, you know, hiding from the world, isolating when things get tough. She's struggling, and she has all the huge lack of confidence. We've we've discussed why, and and we see in this panel, Rain is bounding up to her in her wolf's form, and she, when she arrives at Danny's side, she turns into her human form, and she asks, "Is everything okay?" 
And Danny's reply is, yeah, everything's fine. Why wouldn't it be? And Rain's like, well, you ran off without saying anything to anyone, and I was worried. And she says, so they sent you after me? She says, no, of course not. I came because I care about you. She said, what, no one else felt the need to? And she said, well, no one else knew. Then she explained, then Rain, you know, explains to Danny, you know, I, I knew because I could smell it. In my wolf's form, I could smell, I can smell you. And, you know, that kind of tipped me off that something wasn't right. And she continues to explain that, you know, like in wolf form, that everything's really easy for her. Like, it's a much simpler way of life. And it's really tempting, you know, to just stay in wolf form because things are so much harder when she's a human. Life's just a lot easier when she's a wolf. And Danny says, well, you, what, you're going to stay like that? And she says, no, I don't, you know, that wouldn't, that's not what I want. Like, I'd miss my friends. I'd miss, I'd miss you, you know, you guys way too much. And, and Danny says, well, I'd miss you too. And, uh, you know, this vulnerability from Rain provides Danny with a chance that really, really she hasn't had yet. You know, that we've seen, we've not seen Danny open up to anyone about anything that's happened in her past. And she tells Rain that, you know, her powers don't make her happy. Like, and she's glad that Rain's do, but hers do not make, she doesn't find any joy in her powers. That, in fact, when she, when they first manifested, what we saw with Karma, when she pulled those visions for those memories from Karma, was a similar type of thing that happened in her life back home. When she first manifested her powers, she pulled these m images and memories from people, and they, they were horrible and terrifying and, you know, and, and really hurtful. And she, she really fell into isolation. Nobody wanted to be around her anymore. And so it was really just her family, her mother and her father and her grandfather. They were the only people left in her life. And one night, she pulled this image from her father's mind, a nightmare, she called it, from her dad's mind. And it was this, this image of a bear uh, standing over a bloody Palomino horse and uh, an eagle was swooping down at it, a golden eagle was swooping down at it, and it was it swatted at the eagle and killing the eagle. And she explains to Rain at this point that the eagle was her father's clan and her mother's clan was a horse clan. She tells, tells Rain, I showed my mother and father their deaths, right? And a little while passes, like a week, and her father was taking some guns and his bow into the into the to the hills and he was gonna hunt down this bear. And her mother insisted that she go with and she ne and, and and Danny after they left, she never saw her parents again. And you know, it was a couple months later, you know, and so then she's, you know, went into the hills like the only person left in her life was her grandfather and she went into the mountains and, and became a hermit and it was only a month after she arrived in this moment and at, at Xavier's Institute a month earlier she had she had had the same experience with her grandfather we saw that in in Marvel Graphics novel number two where she showed her grandfather a premonition of his death right? And it came true. So everyone that she's ever been close to, she has hurt with her powers. And she's just, you know, really unsure of herself. And, you know, doesn't want to continue to hurt people this way. And, and Rain says, you know, Danny, Karma, Shane, she knows it was an accident. Like, none of us blame you. It's, it'll be okay, you know, and really reassures her. And by the end of their conversation, you know, I think that there's a, you know, there's already a bond that was beginning to form just because of the rapport with each other when, when Rain was in a wolf form. 
Danny really has a tele- telepathic rapport with with Rain. And so that was part of it. But I think those two characters really bond in this moment. It's a really important scene and something that shouldn't be overlooked uh, at all. Um, it's great for both characters' development. We learn a lot about those characters, and we really see that they have this commonality of isolation and being alone. Uh, there's a honk of the horn, and it's Stevie. She's taking the students into town, uh, but Danny decides not to go, and Rain bounds down the hill. She jumps through an open window in her wolf's form into the back seat She, uh, where Roberto and Karma are both sitting, and Roberto's like, watch out, you're going to rip my clothes, and... Uh, she, uh, Shane, she's worried that, uh, she's just grateful that they're not going to get muddy and wet because the last time she did this, rain had gotten into the mud and, and her fur was all wet, right? So she was a mess. And, uh, and Sam, who's in the front seats looking back, he's like, well, I sure hope she doesn't, uh, pull this stunt when she's fully grown. And, Karma's like, well, it's easy for you, you know, and, and Roberto's like, well, it's easy for you to say that. You're sitting in the front seat, um, and you're where it's safe. And then Roberto and his crudest, very, very much machismo, uh, you know, teenage boy mind uh, automatically goes to this. Then again, her being fully grown might have other compensations. And Rain, who's now turned to her human form, looks at him and says, I beg your pardon, Uh, which is just kind of a comical scene, right? But uh, once again, we've got this Roberto Rain thing going on. And, but, you know, this romantic potentially thing, right? Very much teenagers being teenagers. Uh, Rain does tell the group, hey, I found Danny. She's going to stay here. Uh, and Stevie's concerned, right, at this point. She's thinking, like, you know, why didn't Charles go after her? Why wasn't he more concerned that, like, Danny ran off? Like, we've had these, this thing go on with, with Karma and, and Danny, right? And he just is not at all concerned, you know? It's, it's odd, and, right, so she's, she's noticing something's up. And so, you know, she pulls away with the with the rest of the classmates. Danny stays behind. Charles Xavier stays behind at the institute. And they're going to Salem Center. They're going to go to the Salem uh, Salem Center to just, you know, get away from the institute and enjoy, enjoy being young. Now, a car pulls out with two men, pulls out behind them and follows them. They've been, it's been directed by Henry Peter Gyrich who is the senior member of the National Security Council, responsible to the president alone, right? And he directs these guys, hey, just continue to follow these mutants, you know, just follow them into town. Uh, and, and the first time he appears is in Avengers, uh, in Avengers comics. Um, and he's going to become more important as the story arc continues. Um, but just for now, he has made his appearance. Now, Danny, she returns. She decides, hey, you know what? I need to face these fears. And even though she's scared, she, you know, she goes back to the, to the um, danger room. And she goes up to the control booth and her hands are just shaking. She is terrified. But she is determined. She goes to controls and she sets she you know, she's gonna she's gonna do she's gonna do her family proud, right? Like she doesn't wanna live in fear anymore. She's tired of running. She's gonna face these fears. She wants to be present in her life and I think it's this is just one of my favorite moments for this character because I really think it's we're seeing Danny at her best, right? And this is the Danny that like she made this choice and this is the Danny that like right there was two choices the one that where she could have just run for the rest of her life or or this one and this path takes her on a very amazing course and uh, her character's growth after this point is amazing and wonderful and I love it 
So she sets the controls. She'd watched Xavier so she knows what to, what she needs to punch in to, to run her training session. Uh, and it's the same premise. She just has to cross the danger room. And so she goes down to the danger room and she enters. And she notices right away that she can't use her powers because her abilities won't work on robots. And that's what she's faced with. Uh, a whole bunch of robots on the danger room floor and all she has to do is try to avoid them and then get to the other side well she can't rely on her powers like I said because her powers don't work on robots they only work on humans um, maybe cyborgs and animals but not on these robots that's the important thing and so she realizes very quickly that she's going to have to figure out another way to, to do this and so she relies on her athleticism and agility and she dodges um skips bounces leaps and evades through this group of robots to get from one end of the danger room to the other and at the end she jump kicks one and sees the uh exits there and she leaps through the door and she has reached the end and she's overjoyed she's ecstatic right She's, you know, exclaims, I made it. I passed the test. And, like, she's overjoyed. You can see it in her face. And, you know, just relief, right? She's she's relieved and overjoyed to have reached this moment. And at the end, she's outside the danger room, and all of a sudden there's a zap, and she is hit with a, a blast of some sort. And she lays on the ground. Uh, she's knocked unconscious. And then she's taken back into the danger room. And we see an image of her laying on the floor, her eyes closed, motionless. And above her is the control room to the danger room. So, uh, and in the, very next, in the very next panel, we see a hand pushing buttons on the control in the danger room. And we see it says, danger, safety, interlocks, off. And down on the floor where Danny's beginning to stir, she's lifting her head off the ground and she's beginning to take account of what's occurring around her. And the danger room has returned to this prehistoric forest that it had been when Xavier first introduced the new units to this to the danger room, right? He'd showed them that X-Men training program and that's what's been plugged in. And we see that very same monster moving towards Danny. And that's the end of this issue. James Explores the New Mutants is recorded in Iowa City, Iowa and produced by myself using the Anchor app. New episodes are available every Wednesday through Anchor, Google, and Stitcher to name a few. You can reach the podcast on Twitter at Explore New Mutant or via email at Explore the New Mutants at gmail.com. This Anchor app also has a great voicemail feature which allows you, the listener, to send me questions or submission ideas that I can then add directly into the podcast. So it's a really cool way for you, the listener to become uh, personally engaged and involved in the podcast. And I encourage comments, questions, uh, ideas to be directed to any uh, to either Twitter or the Gmail account or, or even through that voice message. I, I'd love to be able to add some listener voices to this podcast. It'd be great. Um, yeah. So next week we'll dive into issue number two and uh, entitled Sentinels, and I'm really looking forward to that. Until then, keep reading those comics.